Well, good morning. Good morning. It is uh, great to be with you guys this morning. Um, how are y'all feeling today? Make a little noise if you're like a little better than okay. Anybody? How are you feeling okay? Yeah. All right. It is Sunday morning. There is still coffee at the back of you. Missed that on the way in. Um, but it's a it's a privilege to be able to gather together and, and sing uh, in this place and worship together. Um, my name is Micah, by the way, and um, I've not had the privilege of probably meeting all of you. Uh, but I serve across Harvest as executive pastor, and so uh, most weeks I'm hanging out in the Lake Nona congregation and kind of part of the action uh, there. And um, it's always a joy to be with you here as well. And so. Uh, if you know Trey and Lauren Warren's story, you know uh, Lauren is very much pregnant, and she's still, at least as of like an hour ago, very much pregnant. Um, so they were really like thinking man, the baby's on the way any moment, like at the start of the week. And so, um, so I'm filling in for Trey today. Be praying for them uh, and just for baby Maverick and Lauren and a healthy delivery probably sometime soon. Uh, last, uh, this morning, they're still at home um, waiting to, to proceed from there. So uh, uh, be in prayer for them. And uh, we're actually going to be wrapping up a teaching series here at Harvest. I, I'm just curious, uh, did any of you end up like showing up here in person only to be greeted by hopefully donuts, not just a closed door? But I know last week we weren't here. I don't know if anyone made it here and ran into Travis with the I'm sorry, um, the AC's out, building's closed, but here's a donut offer. Um, but uh, we're back, and it's good to be back, and the air's obviously working, so that's a good thing uh, already this morning. Um, but we've been in this series called Five. Um, the idea of the series Five has really been tracking with Harvest's five core values, and these are, these are things that we want for you. Like, we believe if we live out the kind of things that are represented here in these values, like, God is going to continue to do uh, greater things through this church and this congregation. Like if we could be the kind of people that were growing in our practice of these things, um, I just think, man, what, what life change would happen in us, but also through us for the sake of St. Cloud and Harmony and this community and beyond. And so um, I, I hope that you've been tracking along throughout the series, uh, even if you missed us in person um, last week. So this is the fifth and final week. If you were tracking with us um, in the first week, we talked about share Jesus as a core value that um, actually our mission statement as a church is that we're people uh, helping people know and follow Jesus. And so that, uh, that drives and informs what we do. It's why um, we're here and why we continue to hopefully plant congregations even across um, central Florida. That's, that's vital for us. Uh, and I, I feel like there's a bit, is there kind of like a weird hum? Or is that just me on this side of things like that feedback side? Are you guys okay out there? Okay, I'll keep going. All right, so share Jesus was that first value. In the second week, um, we really talked about serve God and, and people. Um, serve God and people. Like, how are you using your gifts to really serve others? Like, God has actually uniquely wired each one of you in this room. He's made you good at things that the person next to you is probably not as good at, and vice versa. Like, how are you using those things, that time uh, and those abilities that God has given you to serve others? Uh, and then uh, the third week, we talked about engaging with God and really engaging with God through the calling that he's placed on all of our lives. Um, last week, we talked about establishing community. And our hope with that value is that, that you would have friends that really encourage your faith, and that you'd have true friends, uh, and that this as a church, like this congregation, would really become a foundation for your lives. Our hope here is that this really becomes a community that you can lean in on, that you end up with deep roots here, um, that when those kind of crises that all hit our lives, they like to describe them as earthquakes, right? They're going to have a, a financial earthquake in your life or a health earthquake uh, in your life. There are going to be things that are going to rock you that are bigger than you, and in those times, who, do you, who comes around you? 
Um, who shows up? Who could respond to a 2 a.m. call in the morning? Um, another fun way to look at it is whose house are you comfortable walking into and you open up their fridge and you don't even have to ask, right? You've got those kind of friends here and that's our hope for this community. And we know as a church plant, like this is still a new group and many of you are still new to each other. I encourage you, make this the kind of community that those kind of friends can really grow out of. And that's, that was last week. And this week, um, we're really gonna talk about a value of live generously. Um, live generously. And there's a question like attached to each of these values. And so as we get started, uh, ask yourself this question uh, that explains live generously. Does my giving reflect my love for God and love for people? Does my giving reflect my love for God and love for people? We actually, as a church, the way we describe our purpose, like what we're all created for is to love God, love people, and impact our world. And so if that's true of us, it, it, hopefully it is, does my giving reflect that? And so we're going to take a look uh, at this value uh, in our time um, together today. And, and all of these, though, all of these are things that we really want for you uh, and not, not from you. So some of you have been around church, and some of you have been around church, and you've kind of had a negative reaction to the church talking about money. And there's this idea that the church, the church only wants like, your money. The church only wants your money. Have anybody ever heard anybody say, say that before? Maybe you've found yourself saying that before. The church only, only wants my money. But the reality is um, we, don't, we don't want your money. I mean, seriously, we don't. We don't want your money. We don't want something from you, but we want something for you. And it's going to be this kind of life we'll scratch at today, scripturally, this life of generosity. We want for you a life of generosity that we believe that, that God desires to be first place in your heart. And money, money wants to wrestle God out of first place. So what we want is that your heart is fully devoted to God and to following Jesus and knowing him better. And, and the reality is, as you know and you follow Jesus, you reflect that through a life of generosity, that following Jesus leads us to, to live generously and different from the world around us. Um, each one of these values, though, I don't, I don't know your story, but, but each one of these values, if you're, if, we're, if you're not paying attention to it, and depending on your background, they can sound like, things that you have to do to make God somehow more pleased with you. Like, I, I've got to do this. I've got to, to give, or I have to serve, or I have to do these things. They can sound like things that we want from you as a church, or God just wants from you. And um, we have to understand that all these values actually come out of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. And so as we get started wrapping up this series, I, I want to start there, all right? Because nothing that we ask for you to do in this series is, is going to really change your life from the inside out if your approach to God with them is, is wrong. So actually, Christianity is like totally different from every other religious system in the world. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but imagine like any religious system that you can think of, or a worldview that has an idea of God on one side and you, right, people, on the other side. Pretty much like every religious system in the world, there's this idea of God or the gods, right? And we're over here, and somehow there's, there's a separation between God and, and us. And like every other religious system would say, these are the things that you have to do to make your way to God. Or these are the things that you have to do to, to somehow have favor with the gods. Or even if there's not a God in the picture, and it's like karma, right? Here's the good things you got to do, like to get good karma, right? And so that's Pretty much every religious system you could think of is that way. And Christianity is totally different. Christianity is not actually about religious behavior, but it's a response to news. At the core of Christianity is the gospel, and the gospel literally means good news. The gospel, the good news, is different. That it acknowledges, yes, here's God and here's you, and there is a separation caused by sin. 
But in Christianity, the good news is very different. It's actually about what God has done for you. But the good news of Christianity says these are the things that God has done because of his grace and his mercy, becoming Jesus in the flesh to make his way to us. And so we respond because God has come and made his way to us. And so this life, these values, these, these core values of harvest are the kinds of things we believe that people that have been changed by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus, that we tend to live out of response. And so it's not about earning from God, but it's a celebration of our lives giving back because he's first given to us. And so that's going to be the case with this value in particular. The kind of life that Jesus desires for us is something huge and immense. I love how Jesus talks about it in uh, John chapter 10. Verse 10, you can read this with me on the screen here, but in John 10, 10, Jesus talks about the kind of life he has come to bring, and he compares it to a thief. He says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came, says Jesus, I came that they, that you may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus came not so that he can uh, take things from you, but that he could actually give his life for you and give to you an abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and have it uh, abundantly. But you see, Jesus also knows that um, that money and the power of money in our lives can rob that joy. It can rob the place that Jesus wants to have in our lives. And so there's another place he's, uh, he's teaching his disciples, and he, he talks about what can happen when money gets out of place in our lives. All right, you can see this in, on the screen as well in Luke chapter 16. And he's comparing us to servants. He says, servant, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so he says, you cannot serve God and money. You know, what Jesus realizes is there's this pull in our hearts, like in all of our hearts. There's a, there's a pull for first place. Like, what is going to take our attention first? What are we going to devote our lives to first? And that, that money or wealth or that kind of financial success has this, this horribly great ability to become what's first in our lives and our first focus. Another word for that is greed. Yeah, is greed. You see, the real problem that Jesus knew wasn't with money. Money's just a tool, right? It's a thing. Like, money's a tool, but the real problem isn't money. It's our hearts. And the, the word for when money takes first place in our heart is greed uh, in our lives. So the problem is that greed makes money number one. Um, catch this. Greed, greed is a preoccupation with possessions. Your greed will be like that thief that will steal and kill or destroy the abundant life that Jesus wants from you. So what's the antidote for greed? What is the antidote for greed? We talked about at the beginning. It's really God's grace, right? It's, an, it's understanding the gospel, his grace to us. That grace is an antidote to greed. It, it's like the fuel that can lead to a generous life. And our experience of God's grace will lead us to lives of generosity. See, Jesus knew that there are lots of things that like a thief that would come to steal, to kill, or to destroy your life. His abundant life that he wants to give you happens when we place him first and we allow his grace to transform the rest of our our lives, even the, the songs that we were just singing. First off, can you say thanks to the band? I mean, don't they do a great job leading here at worship? You can, some of them are around here somewhere, but um, it's, uh, you know, it's, we come together and we don't just sing because it's fun to sing, but those, the truths of the songs that we were singing this morning, man, if that became the foundation of our lives, that grace of God that we were singing about, 
we tend to be changed from the inside out by that. And that grace becomes that antidote uh, to greed. Because like I said, money's a tool, but it's a terrible master. And every one of us is going to have something that's mastering our lives, right? Money may be a great tool, but it's a terrible master. I mean, how, how much would you rather allow Jesus to be the master of your life? Jesus, who would lay down everything for our sake. Jesus, who took all of the power that he had and used that power to do what? To serve. Like, who better to allow to master, to lead your life? And so money's a great tool, but it's a terrible Master. We're going to spend the rest of our time just poking through some verses in the New Testament book called 2 Corinthians. Um, if you have like a Bible app that you want to follow along with or like you brought a physical Bible with you and you want to turn there and get ready, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, and uh, if you don't have those two things ready, you can follow along on the screen uh, as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And in this uh, letter, the, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he's writing to a church. And there's a couple of chapters here if on your own this week. You want to dive in a little deeper and read just chapters 8 and 9 that paint this just really cool picture of a church that's living a life of generosity, um, even in, in ways that it would seem like they were the least candidates to do so. They were not an affluent group of people that Paul's writing. In fact, they were struggling probably just to exist in their own day-to-day -day lives, and yet something happened. that They were living a generous life. Look at verse 1. Uh, Paul says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He writes, just celebrating this church in this region that had been so generous. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Three words uh, that stand out. You may want to highlight or under, uh, underline those. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the what is that word? Grace of God. The grace of God that has been given. And he talks about the abundance of their joy, grace leading to joy uh, in their extreme poverty that has overflowed in generosity. Grace leading to joy, leading to generosity. Or to put it this way, and I have to give props, there's an uh, old teaching pastor I remember years ago coming across this phrase for this passage. Um, and the way he put it was this, grace comes down, Joy rises up, and generosity flows out. Look at the beauty of just that passage, what Paul's saying, is that grace came down. Like, grace, well, we have to start there, right? What is grace is about who God is, not so much who we are. We're, we're the recipients of God's grace, not because we're so grace-worthy, not because we're so lovable, but God, God's grace is like his one-way love to us. God loves us because of his nature to love, not so much that we're so lovable, People, we're pretty good at like liking and, and liking likable people, right? We do pretty good at loving people who love us. God, out of his nature, loves us. His grace is a reflection of his love pouring down on us. Grace comes down, joy rises up, and generosity flows out. With the songs we were singing, I hope they move your heart this morning. Um, a, just a celebration of God's grace, like who he is and what he does for us. That Think about this, no matter your story, what you've walked in here with, no matter your background, no matter who you are or what's been done or what's been done to you, that God loves you. You matter to him. Because of who he is, you matter to him. Like God's grace comes down, and that grace should change us. God's grace comes down. And we, when we look at giving in this passage, I want you to keep this phrase in mind, and we'll kind of 
pick at this throughout, but the idea of, of giving from, from Paul in this church, what he's celebrating is really a grace-based giving, that God's grace changes us, and it should lead to a life of generosity, or to put it differently, to grace-based giving, like that all giving that honors God starts with what we get from him, like we experience God's grace that leads to joy, that, that fills up our lives, that should live to a life of generosity that flows out. Look at how he writes a few verses later in verse 9 about the good news of Jesus. What is the grace is tied to the good news or the gospel of Jesus? He says in chapter 8, verse 9, that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now catch this, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. How does grace come down? That, that Jesus, rich in heaven, set aside the riches of heaven and steps down into our world and our lives so that he can serve, that he can suffer in our place, that he can even die and give his life for us. He says that we need to remember the good news of Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, by his serving, by his sacrifice, what he gave up, that by his poverty you might become rich. He's not talking about financially rich, like that Jesus left financial riches in heaven to bring them to you and give financial riches to you, all right? There are churches that if you're not careful, it kind of sounds like they are teaching that, right? You give to the church and God's going to bless you financially. He's talking about something so much richer than just finances, that we have an abundant life, that we have forgiveness, that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we have riches, not just in this life, but in eternity, because Jesus was willing to step into our world for us. Grace comes down. That second phrase, though, is that joy rises up. Grace comes down. Joy rises up. And that shows us that grace-based giving uh, is joyful, and it's free. Um, first, it's, it's joyful. Uh, read again in verse 2. Remember how he said this. For in a severe test of affliction, he talks about this poor church in Macedonia. He says, there, abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity, their abundance of joy. Their abundance of joy is a reflection of God's grace. I'd like to read this uh, quote on God's grace. I love how this is put. He says, therefore, grace is not something in which we merely believe. It's not just an intellectual thing. It is something we experience as well. Grace is a dynamic experiential reality that empowers the human heart to look beyond its limitations and accomplish things that defy rational explanation. Grace is God's power that enables impoverished and suffering saints like you, like me, to give when by all accounts they should be the ones to get. Such was the operation of grace in this little church, in this Macedonian church. It had changed them. It was a joyful giving and it was free. Uh, as well. Grace-based giving is joyful, and it's, it's free. Look at verse 3. He says, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Of their own accord. You didn't realize the Macedonian church, um, they were not Toyota drivers. They were Honda drivers, right? You can see that in the verse there. They gave of their own accord. Okay, see, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Worst dad joke of the day. Um, I will leave it, leave it there. But they gave freely. They gave freely. I'm going to give you three words, all right? And I want you to form the first sentence in your mind that comes to mind with those three words. All right, you ready for this? Okay. Beg, 
money, church. It's the first sentence that comes to your mind. Probably if you're kind of like me, it's something kind of like the church begs for money, right? Like that's maybe where your mind goes first, all right? Now look at, the, there's a little bit different in this church, had a different approach to beg and money in church. Look at verse 4. Here's what he says about this, this church that didn't seem to have necessarily even enough money for their own means, and yet when Paul talks about this initiative to help another church over here, that was an even worse situation. Look at their response. In verse 4, it says, They were begging us, the church, was begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In other words, there are some believers over here that these believers over here were begging to be able to help these guys over here. They've never even seen personally or met personally. You know what's you know, I love, part of what I love about this church uh, and the generosity of people here at Harvest is that um, the, the vision to plant churches across Central Florida means that there are people in one place that are going to give financially so that there can be people that gather in another place who they may never meet, they may never see, they may never directly uh, encounter in this life. In fact, that's, like, that's happened here. Uh, many of you give and you're supporting the ministry that happens here. There are also people that have never been here on a Sunday. Um, some that don't even live in the state, but because of um, the, the vision of what's happening here and just their generosity, they've given to make this congregation uh, a reality. Like, this is the kind of um, giving that, that grace changes and, and leads to, the kind of generosity in our, uh, in our lives. Um, I caught this this story about a, a church that um, for some time, like the their uh, online giving portal had closed down. It had been like weeks where it closed down. This was like in the lead up to COVID. And so the doors of the church weren't open either. And so there was just like no way to give for this congregation to give for like two months. And then finally word had gotten out that the church was like opening up its doors and people were like lined up to give. This was the scene right here of what that looked like. Just this can't see what you see. There it is. So that's like a mob of people and craziness. I mean, could you imagine like the excitement that led to an entry like this into, okay, so I'm actually joking. So this was a scene, this was Black Friday in some mall, some mall somewhere in America. Um, this is like the visual picture that comes to mind though when I read verse four. That, that there was a church that was so eager to be part of the thing that God was doing that they gave in ways that other people around them probably said, that's kind of that's dangerous or, or unwise or stupid. <laughs> like it was a generosity of God, because of his grace in their lives, they were living in a way that people around them that had not experienced God's grace just saw something different. They were begging for the sake of taking part in the relief of the saints. Grace comes down, joy rises up. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, some of you have heard the end of this verse before. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, here's the deal, though. I know in my own story, I'll, I'll talk to me first, and probably for some of you, there are times in my life, maybe you can relate, where money plays a different role than joy. And if there are times in my life where instead of joy, like the, the, the role that money has played in my life, I would give it the word anxiety instead. That there has been stress 
that there has been worry and concern connected to money. That God's grace in our lives, he desires to do something so that that money doesn't take first place. Money doesn't only take first place by being like the fun thing that we pursue. Another way for many of us that it can take first place is it becomes this burden, this anxiety, that our lives are spent worried about not having enough money. And we, we live in one of the most affluent moments in the most affluent nations uh, in the world, and yet we are more stressed about whether we will have enough to meet our daily and, and needs for tomorrow than perhaps anyone else in history has been. It's, it's crazy the way that that could play in our lives. I mean, for some of you, you may have never missed a meal in decades, and yet you worry daily about having enough money for the future. God desires something more for each one of us than money anchoring us down. He desires that grace would change us. So grace flows down. Joy, joy he desires to stir up. And that third part is that generosity flows out. Again, in verse 2, he says, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Think about this visually, right? We're saying grace comes down, joy fills up, and generosity fills flows out. All right, now, uh, there are things in our lives that, that are healthy that we intake, okay, in our lives. So it's healthy for us to intake food in our lives. We need to eat, right? Like, we need to eat food to survive and to live. But we have to intake, and we have to also eventually outtake in our lives, or we have a medical problem, right? We take in, but we also take out. Think of rivers uh, that lead to the ocean. Rain comes down, rivers flow, and they, they have to go somewhere. Um, if there's a water source that goes nowhere and it stays stagnant, it's not water you can drink, right? It's not healthy water. Grace comes down, joy fills out, and generosity flows out. For some of us in our lives, we get, we kind of become consumers of God's grace, and we don't work it out in our lives through generosity, and we get stagnant in our growth with God at times because we take in, and we, and we take in, and we take in, and and we're not working out God's grace, that God's grace is an enabling force. He wants to do things through you. Like God wants to give grace to you because he loves you, but also because he loves your neighbor, right? And your coworker and your family members. He wants his grace to flow out of your lives in, in ways that his generosity can change the world around you. Generosity wasn't designed just to be consumed, but to flow out of us. Look at um, chapter nine, verse eight. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that having all things in all times, you may abound in every good work. His grace is designed to, to lead to works. Now, if you remember in the beginning, I said God's God doesn't, you don't work to get from God, right? Like your relationship with God is not that of him as the boss and you as the employee, okay? Where you try to work for God so that he can pay you in return. Like if that's your picture of God, you haven't understand Jesus in the gospel yet. But God gives to you. But yet, God's grace isn't against working. It's just a different relationship with working. You see, we don't work to get from God, but because we've already been changed by what we've gotten, we get to do good works for him. Like he wants to work in you and through you. God's grace is opposed to earning, but not to working. And here's the response. Look at verse 11. As we, we take in and we allow joy to fill us up so that we can live generously and let generosity flow out, he says this in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way 
to be generous in every way. God wants to pour in so that you can pour out into the lives of others, that we, give, we get so that we can give. We get so that we can, we can give. God's grace doesn't give to get, but it gets to give. It's our response to him. I want you to do just like a little mental experiment, all right? And if you're comfortable doing so, even maybe just close your eyes and kind of pay attention to this scenario. If you pretend like you've never heard the gospel before in your life, just imagine this scenario, that you and me, who are messed up and broken, sinful people, were yet loved by God, and God loved us so much that he gave his very best to us, that, that God, because of his grace and mercy, gave his own son for us, who came and served and laid down his life for us, that he has given us a, a way for the forgiveness of our sins that costs him so much but costs us nothing. Then he, not only does he save us from, from sin and forgive us, but he adopts us into his family. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of the things that he's going to do for eternity, that we are promised an eternal heaven with him forever, enjoying him, living free from sin with him. And that God does all of this for us. And then look up back at me. I mean, just, just imagine, like, you know nothing about the church. And just, that's your life and your scenario and what you've gotten. And you've never heard anything else before, but God just says, what, about what would you want to give in response to that gift that he's given you? And if there were, like, a financial number that, that God would say, how much would you give so that other people could meet Jesus too, that people that have not yet responded or heard the gospel would hear it and be able to respond to him, to be likewise saved and forgiven and, and likewise given the Holy Spirit and likewise spend an eternity in heaven. Like, if you had received all of that, just what is your gut reaction to what feels right to give God in response? I, um, I sat recently in a, a circle of guys and just kind of played that scenario out um, with some new believers, and one of the guys said, I don't know, man, it seems like anything less than like half of what I get seems kind of silly. And we just kind of let it sit there. Because what is, you know, if you've grown up in church, you, there's a number that the church usually gives, and it's this idea of 10% or a tithe, right? Um, and I want to just pick at that and talk about that for a minute. The tithe is a word that literally means 10%. Um, there's this uh, principle throughout the scriptures of this idea of a 10%. If you go back throughout the Old Testament to the New, where God's people were asked to, to give first, um, and that of the first fruits, whether that was crops or wealth or animals, that they gave a tenth of what came in first um, so that God's work could continue. The tithe was this idea, you can read with, it on the, with me on the screen, it says the first tenth of everything you get belongs to God, and so you return it to God. It basically means you can either return it to God or steal it from God, but it isn't actually yours. Like, that was this Old Testament principle of the tithe. Um, that, like, God has actually given you everything. What he's saying is, I just want 10% back. I'm going to give you this. You just give me 10%. And then, basically, we're kind of in the position of we can either give God his back or we can steal it from him. Um, there's this uh, prophet, Malachi, who's accusing God's people of doing just that. He says, you're robbing God um, because you haven't brought your 10%, your tithe, to him. So we return it to God um, by turning it over to God's house of worship, always meant to be an expression of worship and of, of gratitude. And here's what I've seen it time again in our lives. There's this wrestle I think we have to wrestle with positively in the church of this idea of God's grace that changes us, and this approach to giving that's grace-based. Uh, and think of it as like uh, this idea of the tithe is like a principle 
that I like to describe as like the training wheels of giving. Like that there's this principle that we can practice to break the power of greed in our lives as a starting point in our life. That we can give first to God before all of our other needs are met. That we can say no to the anxiety that money tends to play in our lives and say, I'm actually going to set aside first to give back to God, and I'm going to trust that he can use the rest of what's left to provide for everything else that he wants to do. That we get this, this principle that I think is the, one of the most <laughs> under-practiced approaches to living a life filled with joy that we don't take up God on is by setting aside a percent first to give back to him and trusting him and allowing him to work in our lives for the rest. It breaks, for many people, I think it breaks that antidote of greed. It's like the antidote of greed in their, their lives. We give first. Have you ever taken a class called F FP or Financial Peace University before? There's this principle of give first, save second, live on the rest. And if, if we could just change one thing in our behavior uh, as kind of Western Christians, and we could live on that, like to give God first, to save second, to live on the rest, it would radically transform our lives. Um, have you ever heard the, the story about the little boy whose mom gave him $2 on the way to church in the morning? She's like, hey, $1 for you to give at church, and the other dollar is for you to buy some candy after church. And so he's all excited, and uh, on his way into the church building, the wind's blowing, and one of the $2 blows away out of his hand, and he's got the other one, and he's sitting in church, and the offering plate goes by, and he quietly whispers, sorry, God, I lost your dollar. And he sticks the other dollar back in his pocket, right? Um, there is, man, we are wired for money to be first place in our lives. And I think God gives us great grace with the principle where he says, I want you to give back first and, and trust me. So here's what I want to challenge you to do as a, as a church, depending on where you're at in this journey, uh, is to take a simple step. Um, when it comes to giving. Because for some of you, you, you kind of need to break the power of that money plays in your life. And for others of you, you may be at a place where like, you've had really positive practices for a long time in this area, and you're living out of that joy. And there's a sense of freedom in your, your finances from its control of anxiety over you because you've been practicing that. But wherever you at, are at, I want to encourage you to consider taking a step. And so maybe you're at a place where when it comes to giving, the reality is like you don't give anything. That's just the reality for you. Like when it comes to giving back uh, first, you, you really don't. If that's you, I want to encourage you to, to give something, um, to begin the practice of giving something um, when it comes uh, to your life and, and take that step. For some of you, you give, give something, but it's not necessarily deliberate. It's not really thought out. It doesn't really feel like what Paul said, that whatever you set aside in your heart to do that, uh, in other words, you hadn't set aside anything in your heart. You just kind of gave whatever. So if if you haven't given anything, give something. If you're kind of in that, I, just, I give something, um, then I encourage you to, to give significantly. And by significantly, I mean pray about what you should give uh, and make a decision and then give what you set aside in your heart to give and, and take that step. Um, for others of you, you, you already do that, but maybe you've, you've never tried this principle of the tithe of like actually setting aside 10% of everything that comes in first. And so I encourage you, if you've never done that before, Give God a chance with that in your life. Um, we, one of the joys in, in church over the world has been able to have small group conversations and sit with people outside of the sermon side and wrestle with application of sermons. And uh, I always love and dread kind of the like, hey, when there's a money talk and we're going to be in small group, uh, and especially if it's a small group with new believers, I love those talks. I, I can remember distinctly uh, one of a man who's my friend now who was kind of new to our group uh, some years ago. And just his honest, like, assessment, like, this church thing was new. He's like, 
you're not really serious about that 10% thing, right? Like people don't really do that, right? Like that's just a thing that, that people don't practice. I'm like, no, actually, like there are people that give more than that to the, the church. And his, his honest, just like first time reaction was, I would have to like change so many things to be able to do that. And we just let that set in. And thought that was, that might exactly be the point. That there is such a change for, for some of you, this may be just one of those faith steps that there's a holdup in your life in, in trusting God in this area of finances. And you give, but it's, it's not first. It's if, if there's enough at the end, then I'm going to consider what I, what I could give. And that just may be something that God wants to break in your life, that you would have a different area of freedom and following him through that uh, in your life. There are people uh, in our lives, um, through our church, that have given significantly in different ways. Um, that this idea of giving first became a step of faith that led them somewhere differently, and even giving sacrificially. I had a chance, um, one of the things that uh, my wife has helped start, um, and there are people at our Lake Nona congregation that are on this web portal now, something called the Care Portal, uh, and it's just needs within our community, so these are outside of our church. Uh, many of them are needs connected to foster care or families that are on the brink of being put into foster care, and so there's just some stuff or some thing or something they need. Uh, and so someone had the brilliant idea of starting a, a web cloud-based service that like our church is a user of that. And so we can see needs in our area that pop up, uh, throw the word out to the church. And it's been amazing to me to see the church step up and provide needs for people and just giving above and beyond in, in ways. I had a chance to meet a dad who said, this has changed our family conversations at dinner. Like my wife got all into this care portal thing. And it's like, it's a little creepy at first to me, but then like, this is what our daughters talk about over dinner. Like what's the next thing that we get to get to like give to somebody because they got hooked on generosity. And so I just wanna close and I wanna pray for you and wherever you're at and just take time to allow God to do the things maybe he wants to do in your heart so that his grace would be first, that it would lead to joy that outflows in generosity. Will you pray with me? God, I'm thankful for who you are. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you've poured out your love into our lives. God, we thank you that um, for each one of us, if we know you, it's because you've loved us enough to die for us, to seek us, to find us. And so I pray, Lord, that there would just be a, a move of your spirit in our lives as individuals, as a church, that your generosity would pour through us, that we would not only be con consumers of your grace, um, but we would outflow in the lives of others and lives of generosity, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.